This podcast is brought to you by Stormaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at Stormaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. Yes, today you still do need an MMP. But should I pay for the MMP or should I go for the free version? <laughs> I mean, I strongly encourage you if you're serious about your app development, not necessarily game, you definitely want to look into doing the expenditure of getting a third part, a paid MMP. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by Stormaven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Mobile Growth and Pancake. I'm your host, Jonathan Fishman. I'm a VP Marketing and Growth uh, here at Stormaven. And today I'm really excited to have here with me, Enric Pedro, who's VP Growth at Tilting Point. Hey, Enric. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So uh, I'm really excited uh, to do this. Uh, but before we start, um, you have a really interesting path, like the way that you got to be uh, Tilting Point VP Growth. Uh, so can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Um, so I always start I'm stating that I've been lucky enough to um, live and work in five different cities. So I started my um, professional career um, in Barcelona. Then I moved to London to do a master's on interactive media um, by the London, London College of Communication. Um, in fact, not a well-known fact, but um, my thesis, my MA thesis was about the opportunities of in-game advertising. That mm. was about 12 or 13 years ago. Interesting. So I, I guess it was. But back then, I was already interested in what I'm doing right now, which is always a good sign. Was there uh, an interesting conclusion to the thesis? Uh, yeah, so back then, um, I was looking into big brands, Coca-Cola um, or Domino's, on what they were doing um, online. It wasn't the offer walls and mobile gaming was on its infancy. So back then, what is being done right now, it was inconceivable. It wasn't an option. Um, summary is that um, brands back then, they had to do a leap of faith and take the risk and, and try to... Um, understand that that new medium it's interesting because it was a 12 or 15 years later the market changed a lot i believe that i still you will still need to make um a, an interesting pitch to a big brand but now you talk about that you know fortnite everyone is going to know about it uh, 15 years ago i was trying just to push for um you know um getting brands to somewhat relate um to what i was trying to accomplish with my thesis um just most people that we're talking to they have no clue whatsoever about beauty games so i guess after 15 years good to see that things have changed there so um in london i after my master's i was working for wild tangent which is a, a company based in redmond so i was um, assisting on their media front which was basically doing in in-game advertising version PC and then on mobile. After that, I joined a startup, which is called um, Linking Mobile. They were part of a group called Mobile Feature Group, which they were the same co-founders as ADX, AD-X, which was one of the first MMPs in the space. So we're talking about when Adjust didn't exist, I think, AppSire was just starting, um, house offers wasn't even tuned, so it was house offers. So talking about when marketeers were running on a cost per click and CPM basis rather than cost per install. Cost per install wasn't an option. So that's where I started on mobile. After that, after a couple of, um, they, they got acquired by Quirio. Um, I speak with Linking Mobile, which was the mobile network. With that, I moved after a couple of years to New York to open their office and leave and be the spearhead on their um, expansion in the US. I did that for a couple more years. And then I moved to another network, another mobile network called Mobusi. Um, which was a big, a huge affiliate network, mobile affiliate network back then. I moved to LA. So it was now so London, New York, LA. I was in Los Angeles for two years and a half or so. And then the opportunity, um, same group, Fibonet Group, which is um, owned back then, Mabusi, owned as well, or was a co-owner of a, a gaming company called Lapcave Games. And that's where I started my proper 
call it um, inception in mobile gaming growth. Um, as you know, I've been saying for the last few years, I've been working with mobile, but that was with Labki where I went hands-on and exclusively with the gaming. Um, I was in Madrid um, for this position for about two years and a half. And then an opportunity happened to offer, um, open or offer um, here in Barcelona. So after being abroad for over 10 years, I thought that was a, a good um, decision to get back home, as in Barcelona. Um, I joined a, a casino company called Zidro. They develop um, the big um, machines like, um, you know, two meters um, or six, four or six, five meters. And I'm sorry, feet um, tall and rings and bells and whistles. What you see in Las Vegas, that's the type of machine that they developed. But I was leading the, the mobile front. So doing social casino. I was there for about a couple of years and then Tilting Pine um, offering was there. I saw it. I I discussed with a, a few people that I know in this space. I knew Tilting Pine from, well, who doesn't know Tilting Pine now, but I knew Tilting Pine from, from years in the space as well. And I thought it was a great company to join. And after a few interviews, I was lucky enough to um, you know, accept the offer or get the offer. And I've been with Tilting Pine for nine months, nine months now. Awesome. Yeah. And of course, everybody know uh, Tilting Point, but uh, probably le less uh, the portfolio of games. So what kind of games uh, Tilting Point uh, is publishing and developing? Sure. So we currently manage about um, 40 different games. Um, recently, there are news as well that we acquired uh, a developer called Budge, um, Budge mm -hmm. Studio, which um, they develop um, or they have a portfolio of um, more of a kid-focused games, um, so um, the younger demographic. Um, to your question, um, we touch pretty much almost every genre except hyper-casual. We have some games that might be close to what you would call hyper-casual, but um, it's from uh, a match puzzle um, up to um, a Fortex camp like a Star Trek or um, a Warhammer. And um, with that, in terms of the games that we look to work with, we don't have um, any um, constraints. Um, we ultimately look into the game performance as well as the capability that we believe that our team can bring um, to on the table to this developer to actually help them grow their game and ultimately change. Um, the, the mod is for us to be able, tilting point, to be able to change a developer's life. How we change their life is making their title and, you know, skyrocket to um, high revenue or high number of installs. So then they can either choose to keep developing on that title or perhaps um, work on other titles, as well as we can um, provide, you know, um, from the growth team, all the systems that we can provide, UA and organic advantageation analytics, as well as cash flow. And some companies, I mean, it's a two people, three people operation. They just had a good game that has good metrics, but they do not have the means to actually scale the game and effectively. And we're talking about, hey, I need, I don't know, 50, 60, $70,000 to an indie developer. That's the life, no, that, that could pay their, I don't know, their, their life for the next three years, probably, while you're looking to spend in a month. Um, so obviously, when you're talking to these um, smaller developers, game developers, it does make sense as well that an entity like, such as or a company such as Tilting Point brings expertise, but as well as the financial means to, to help them grow their game. Great. Wow, that's a, that's a really interesting path. I, I would say that you're one of the most uh, experienced people in, in, in mobile uh, these days, given that you started really early on. And I really love the, the fact that you, uh, you, you got back to where it all started in uh, your hometown of Barcelona. Yes, yes. It's, it's good to see as well um, that Barcelona is becoming a, a, a gaming hub. Uh, I, I'm feeling a lot of about 15 years ago, but the truth is 15 years ago, there were some gaming companies, but um, Social Point wasn't Social Point. There was no Game Love, no, you know, there are no deep and the, no tilting point. The heavyweights weren't here. So I do wonder if it was the Enric now, today, 2022, if I will ever um, move out from Barcelona because th these opportunities weren't here when I, I started um, in the space. But I was glad that I, I traveled around. Um, it opens, at, you know, getting exposure to different cultures, different ways of work. That's um, that's definitely helps you grow as a professional, but as well as a human being. Yeah, for sure. I, I had the same type of experience. I uh, I lived in in the U.S. for some time and in, in New York, um, and also now like looking at I'm I'm from Tel Aviv, so looking uh, at Tel Aviv and seeing that it's also growing to be to be become 
um, a pretty significant gaming hub. Uh, I'm really happy to see that. Uh, and it was impossible to think that, uh, you know, gaming companies would exist in Israel uh, 15, 20 years ago. Just like unheard of. Uh, so it's, it's really fun to see. Big companies, actually. There are the, the big, one of the, the, the few biggest ones in the space as well. I'm coming from Israel. Um, big, big guys from the country, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like a company like Moon Active was something that it was, you know, if, if somebody would have had the idea of uh, starting a game, a game company like that uh, 20 years ago, uh, folks would, would laugh. Like it would be unheard of. It was like known that Israel can't be in gaming. And then uh, it happened. So uh, it's, it's a really nice uh, journey to see from uh, just from being in Tel Aviv. And I'm sure it was the same in, in Barcelona. That's right. Um, cool. So... What a lot of people are interested in is, uh, given that every mobile gaming company is different, is how the team is structured. So you're leading growth. Um, how does that look like? How many people you have on your team and what kind of responsibilities uh, do you have and how do you structure it? So um, in terms of a structure, um, kind of a hinted a little bit when we were talking about um, earlier, um, we have um, within the growth team separate departments, uh, which is the user acquisition, um, the organic at monetization and insights and analytics. Well, insights and analytics. Um, with that, um, each team function, obviously, as the name states, have a, a, a different, um, you know, to do by by game. But ultimately, what uh, what we are, what I've been trying to accomplish in the la- in the last nine months is to get um, each one of these teams to work um, head in hand or closer together. Now, it's one of those things that is easier said than done because, or as well, when Tilting Point, it's, it's a big company, right? We have um, hundreds of employees. Um, when you're managing a team is over 30 people. Um, when you're managing these many people, you need to rely on your leads, but you need to make sure as well that the team um, you know, under the leads are actually as well talking to each other, not within the same department, not within the UA team, not within the organic team per se, but between both departments, as in organic talking to the UA, UA talking to a monetization, um, insights team providing um, the rationale and why we're working with this game. You know, all of these um, that um, people who are maybe hearing to this um, episode um, and they're a small team or like five, 10 people, these problems, these are growing pains, right? When, when it gets grower, it's like um, people thinking, how is it possible these teams are siloed or what Envic is saying right now? Um, this will never happen to me. Well, trust me, I, I, I was thinking the same, but then when you become such a big entity, it's it, this is the growing pains that you need to um, make sure that we are um, all aligned. And it's things that um, are no-brainers. Like for instance, I'm just going to give you a random example. Let's say that we drop um, um, the install um, number or the uh, the spend that we're going to make in the US for a specific game for the next week by 30%. Obviously, the organic team is going to have a direct is going to be directly impacted by that. Ad notification might be as well because lower number of impressions too. Um, you know. Um, the uh, the no-brainer will be, hey, the UA team is going to inform each one of the um, leads or whoever is managing that game that as of next week, 30% of the investment will be reduced in the US, et cetera. But, you know, making sure that this is actually um, following suit, where we draw a line, which, me- um, which benchmarks we're looking into, how at what point I'm stating 30% is a, is a, is a lot of um, um, budget being decreased. Is it 30% of $1,000? Is it 30% of $100,000? Because the impact is going to be different as well. So um, all these nuances as well is that, that, that where we currently um, focusing focus on. And what's being really beneficial and just um, a, a key take um, that I will give um, people listening to the episode right now is um, to try to um, weekly, bi-weekly, and try to, um, you know, you cannot force people to talk to each other, but you can try to showcase um, or lead by the example and try to maybe um, throw some ideas or um, showcase why there is a need to get each team to talk to each other. Um, On some instances, people get um, um, really focused on their own duties, their day-to-day, Hey, we're all super, super busy, right? And you and manager has many campaigns to optimize, many creative requests, uh, many works to talk to, et cetera, et cetera. So it's normal that some people get um, fixated on the day to day, and but we need to see. We need or try to help them to see as well the bigger picture and how their day to day impacts um, the other teams. When they once they see that, not, don't get me wrong, it's not that tipping punches don't see that. It's just that once you make it more clear. 
um, then and there is no question on why there is a need to make sure that each team talks to each other um, and we are in a synchronous, you know, synchronous, like we work um, hand in hand. That's when you actually see the, the best results happening um, in our titles. For, I, I totally agree. I think that it's um, just by communicating or making sure that folks know that uh, their job, it's their job is impacted by uh, other teams to, to the better and for the worse. Um they would agree to work with uh, each other closely. They have to understand that uh, how it impacts their own day to day, and and the fact that they're measured on it. Even you know outside of mobile, even in like I mean B two B marketing, um, you you see that all the time. Like uh, there's uh, somebody managing the social account, let's say on LinkedIn, and uh, the number of followers are really influenced by uh, the amount of hiring activities. So the more hiring activities exist, you get more followers, and that. That's how uh, these two teams uh, within marketing influence one another. So only when they understand the dynamic, they would sit down and plan and and agree to work uh, with uh, one another. All right. So let's take uh, some stock of what happened uh, in the past year, which is a lot. Like you've been in, in mobile for so long. I can't remember... Maybe maybe iOS 11, when the App Store design has changed and uh, they started to actually report on, um, you know, search, browse and, and referral traffic separately. Uh, that was a big change, but it's nothing compared to what happened in the past year with iOS 14.5, the deprecation or the de facto deprecation of the IDFA. And then, uh, of course, iOS uh, 15 with all the new App Store marketing capabilities and more data. Uh, within App Store Connect, um, then of course Google announcing uh, their their own version for um, privacy. They call it the Privacy Sandbox. It's not going to happen uh, this year. They, they've set a timeline for like two years, but it's going to reach Android as well. I do know that Android was kind of a safe haven where some uh, folks just, uh, um, you know, changed the mix of how they spend and and shifted it towards Android. <clears throat> as a way to uh, to battle the, the challenges in, in iOS. Um, but I'm interested to, to learn what uh, Tilting Point and what uh, you have done to handle these challenges, starting from iOS 14.5, which is um, more challenges in uh, getting targeting right, and of course, um, attribution and measurement and everything that uh, stems out of the, the loss of the IDFA. So we tried to... Um, use, make the most of the fact that, as you mentioned, um, Jonathan, that many people will be leveraging or they will focus more on Android, Google, or things that didn't change as much as iOS. So we try to leverage that and actually focus more on iOS rather than Android. Um, because um, that was a, there was a room of opportunity of a few months um, where rates were actually lower on iOS. And on, on you could tell, even from an administration perspective, you could tell from the CPMs, and we were going higher. It was for um, you know somewhat um, not decreasing, but they weren't as high. Um, so we tried to, in the first few months. We tried to leverage that and basically um, just making the most of available traffic because those who make developers who make or make their homework or try to make their homework while because we we knew that iOS fourteen point five and IDFA deprecation was coming and it was delayed. Gosh. Three, four times, and uh, well, you, you you probably Jonathan, you know, you remember better than I do. Um, I think it will. It kept dragging on. It was October, and then it was supposed to be January, yeah. and then it just kept dragging on. So, if you didn't hear the warnings, uh, you know, you had a bit of time to you know to work it out, despite um, the black blocks on how Apple tend to operate. Um, with that said, um, so on the first few months, we focus on that. Um, then I'm ultimately um, what we realize is that on some what we realize is that some games um, either given the set of events that we were sending or given the nature of the type of game um, that we are managing or that we own, um, we obviously realize that um, some events are not as um, as easy to be sent as other games. Um, I'm just gonna give you an easy example. I'm talking on a say, a social casino game where um, I might be aiming to target um, or I want to attract more people who spend money, right? So people, buyers, ultimately wells. The problem with social casino games is that um, in order to hook the player, you tend to give away many, many credits uh, or 
coins or whatever um, hard currency you want to call it on the game for maybe five days a week in hopes that the user you know gets used to the game and starts enjoying the gameplay and next thing you know they cook to the game they end up doing the acquisition before ios 14.5 um, that was a straightforward and um you know big social casino and companies and um, a few israeli ones and um, they were making a lot of money with that um, strategy now this completely changed or shifted with um, the IDFA deprecation because um, that signal of who is a buyer and the time period that you have in order for you to be able to send a, an event to call it Facebook friends and um, saying, hey, this player actually converted, it's limited. So um, what I'm trying to spend pinpoint with this, I was giving you the example of Social Casino. Now we used an example as a casual game, I don't know, a puzzle, match three um, puzzle. The conversion um, can it's definitely um, shorter. Um, you can as well maybe um, um, work on other events. Um, so I'm just actually going to give you the answer to what I will do if I was managing a social casino um, game. It will be to um, focus on events that might, might not be revenue directly and related, but do have an impact on revenue. Mm-hmm. So if a player um, hits level number 10 on the first two days, I know that he's a super engaged player, and therefore I'm going to um, call it a, a custom event called Super Engage. And I'm going to send this signal to Facebook. So I get, I attract more super type of super engaged players and just make this app, <laughs> this example on the go. But what we came up with the realization on the 14, on the F14.5 deprecation is that we had, we had to apply a different strategy by the type of game or genre. Now, this is easy if you manage, if you are one developer who focuses on one step, okay, hey, we only do racing games. Hey, we only do upper casual games. Hey, we only do casino games. Tilting point, um, the beauty of it is that we are seeing, um, as I mentioned earlier, almost every single genre in the space outside upper casual, which we do not touch, touch that much. The rest of genres, we have had our fair amount of experience, which give us a pretty good understanding or a, uh, that's what I was saying um, before, that we had different performance based on the type of game as well as on the type of events that we're sending over and as, as well as the type of optimization that, um, that, that we're going on um, um, after. Cool. And, and for a company with uh, such a large portfolio of games, um, did you also lean into cross-promotion as a way to, uh, to basically balance the, the potential hit from, uh, I don't know, war... Uh, just uh, bad UA uh, metrics. Sure. So we we haven't we thought about it. Um, the the problem, quote unquote, problem mm-hmm. is that um, as I mentioned to you earlier, um, when we're managing, so we have our own and um, development games or games that we own, um, and on those, I said Warhammer, or Star Trek, time, etc. Mm-hmm. On those, we it could potentially make sense for us to work on a on a cross promo cross promotion. On the rest of our games, um, which are on the live publishing side, so we, are, we, are, we are effectively their publisher, going to the developer and say, hey, I'm going to do a cross-promotion from your game, so I still, I still, uh, I take up your audience and I throw it in a different yeah. game that's under our publisher funnel. It doesn't, it doesn't come across as a good thing, right? It's not something, yeah. I mean, I, I want to think, and maybe some developers get it, um, but it's, Ultimately, on the paper, it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make that much sense unless you are managing it's your own portfolio and it all falls under the same PNL that ultimately is paying the same salaries, right? And mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say is that a developer under this publishing and funnel, um, it might not be as open or as and willing to do this cross promo because ultimately, hey, maybe we were managing another one of their games, and then you could argue, okay, we might be try to. Um, you know, get some of your existing audience from game A to game B because they own both games. Yeah. But different developers, that's not going to, um, I'm, I, uh, well, tell me your thoughts and how you, no, no, hey, really I'm going to put a cross promo, I'm going to push it, I'm going to put it to someone else's. They're like, yo, you're still, you're sitting my audience. Like, well, tell me if um, I am. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 really interesting because uh, for companies, I think Eric Sufert calls it uh, content fortresses. Like companies that have um, the App Eleven, for example, is, is one of these. When they uh, have a lot of in-house games, they have a game studio, and um, and it doesn't really matter because, as you said, like if if the user switches from game A to B, it's still 
it actually is going to do great things to the PNL because uh, you're going to get more revenues out of that player because you get them playing for longer once. And the alternative is that that player would churn. They would just stop playing. Play, yeah. It churns or you are losing to another competitor, whereas you maintain them within your catalog of games. So, hey, I may be losing yeah. from game A, but I maintain this new, this is a new player now. And even I can, you know, track, hey, is it a well? So I expect this guy is going to spend at least $500 in the next um, three months on, on a similar game or title. It makes sense mm-hmm. um, for some developers. Again, when it falls on the, on the same PNL, tilting point on the yeah. publishing um, funnel, I don't think, well, not for now. No, I agree. I, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's very problematic when, the, when there are different developers and <clears throat> they actually do, they do want to keep... <clears throat> Sorry, they do want to keep the player in the same uh, in the same game. They don't get anything if the player continues to play game B. Yeah, there you go. But even 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 about our own games, right? So we can talk to a game manager, SpongeBob game manager. Um, I'm just gonna make a random example. Um, For sure. Um, and then I talk. I, then I talk to the Star Trek game manager. Said, "Hey, I'm gonna put a cross promo, even though it's a different. Let's let's say it's a sim and um, target audience. Okay. Hey, I'm gonna take and put a cross promo from a Star Trek to SpongeBob. No way." No yeah. way, because you're gonna sell me all my players. Like, how, what, 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 what it's out for me? Um, so, um, well, no way. Hey, maybe uh, it might make sense on some instances. Maybe it's an evergreen game, or maybe it's an, a game that we have on harvester mode. As in, we know that these players are gonna churn. There is no, you know, it's like it's like the um, the last benefit, or like, hey, this game is, you know, it's it's not falling, but it's like in the prison, I don't know, 10, 15 percent performance, um, quarter by quarter. We know in a couple of years it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be a, a dead game. Might as well just try to leverage existing active audience and just actively cross promo um, some of our um, other um, other games. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I totally understand uh, uh, your your specific situation. Um, I think that one one interesting uh, thing here, just in general, maybe not for a tilting point, but uh, companies that have a lot of uh, games in a lot of different genres can actually start to do a lot of interesting things with data and analytics in terms of affinity. They can find, uh, they just can have a lot of data about what kind of genres people have affinity. Like if, if somebody is playing a detective themed uh, match three game, what else would they probably want to play? Uh, even if it's in different genres. So uh, that, that kind of data and analytics that they have from their first party data is, um, eh, as long as they have a really, really sizable uh, audience size, like, you know, more than 100 million MAUs, uh, they can actually start uh, becoming their own exploration or own discovery platform. Um, and some companies are doing that even from unexpected uh, places like Netflix with their own ga- venture into gaming, um, starting to like build their own discovery platform for mobile games within Netflix. So it's... Um, and they know they know a ton about preferences based on what people watch. So we tried as well with mediation tools. Um, mm-hmm. um, won't drop any names. Just a common, you know. You mentioned one, you know, the, the biggest ones. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the mediation battle is very fierce. The, the, the <laughs> we can't tools, we can't pick right? the, the mediation tools. So um, we tried some tests with them. It um, they did not perform as expected. So um, conclusive results, it didn't perform. And we had to go back and forth with the different teams. Um, so um, for now, it's not something we look into it. We we thought about it. It's not something that we have been um, actively um, deploying as a mean to contract um, the, the IDFA data preparation. Got it. Cool. And, and moving forward to iOS 15, like there's... there. Like it has two sides of it. One of them is the new marketing capabilities, I would call it, uh, in-app events that I know that you folks, like we had an episode with Jovhan focused, uh, focusing mostly about that. Um, and uh, of course, custom product pages that are kind of in the middle, I would say, of rolling out in terms of support by different uh, ad networks. Uh, I do hope that Facebook support it in, in the coming months, that th- those are at least the rumors. It sounds like... Yes, we heard there is some beta going on. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of rumors of some alpha program uh, being uh, alpha. Alpha, you know, even beta alpha. You said better than I did alpha. Yes. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, so it's happening. Probably they'll they'll roll out support in a few uh, months, maybe toward towards the summer. Just my guess. Um, and uh, 
so there's custom product pages. There's, of course, product page optimization. So the, the ability to A-B test to some degree um, creatives on the default product page for mostly organic traffic, because that's the intention behind this feature. And uh, and a lot more data within App Store Connect. So Apple, after they took away, I think it was uh, uh, Simon Tilly from AppTweek that said it, like that sometimes they take something away and then they bring something back that is different. So they took away um, the IDFA, which kind of broke the way that attribution uh, um, is done uh, through MMPs, at least on the self-attributing networks, like because uh, some ad, a lot of ad networks, let's let's just say the truth, are still uh, doing uh, a lot of things with fingerprinting. So they kind of maintain the same status quo. Clock is ticking. Clock is ticking. I know. I know you. I know you know. I know most of our audience knows, but um, fingerprinting has well, there's a deadline on that. There is, there is. Yeah, there's a lot of opinions on the market. I definitely hold the opinion that uh, it will go away. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, when Apple would be pissed enough and when they have the, you know, the the best way to enforce it. Uh, I think if folks want to look at clues about that, uh, you can just look at uh, Google Privacy Sandbox because they announced they're just going to have um, a runtime environment within within apps that is specifically for SDKs. So SDKs won't even have physically the, the ability to read all the parameters, all the device parameters they need for fingerprinting, uh, and it can be enforced. And all of the SDKs would be reviewed um, by the by the team. So it won't be it would be separate to the code review of the app. Um, but once they figure it out, uh, fingerprinting is going to go uh, away. And um, and analytics and measurement, like or the data stack of most teams, also has changed a lot in the past uh, few months. And I know that you guys have a lot of thoughts about that. So, uh, how are you viewing all these changes, and and what are you doing to leverage them? Um, so, um, with the organic team, I know you had the intro, um, you had the podcast episode um, mm-hmm. with my colleague um, about a month ago or so. Um, we have been looking a lot into leveraging um, CDP and uh, custom product pages. As you said, um, it is still yet, we're still yet, we have been testing um, several tools or um, partners who had something mm-hmm. available to test the CPP. Um, I wouldn't say inconclusive tests, it's just that the implementation to date has been. I wouldn't say a nightmare because nightmare is really, really bad. I would say not great. Um, didn't work. Didn't expl- I mean, it's 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 early stages, right? Um, so um, as you said, with a Facebook alpha, I think that's gonna that's gonna really unlock um, a lot of that potential um, as well. With you know, with Apple search ads too. Um, so it's first. It comes a time when they release or Apple Google releases something new. And then it's one how long it takes for the industry um, to catch up, as well as how feasible it is for anyone who is willing to say deploy CPP that they're actually doing so. Um, um, it could take, you know, even say Altin is ready to start working on CPP, you could have the greatest and everyone, okay, but how do we deploy this? How am I tracking the results? Um, you know, each URL that Apple gives me, how I'm tracking mm-hmm. this back um, to the celebratory network. Right now, it's well. If it's, I mean, there are some, as I said, there are some solutions in the space, but they are yeah, they're, no they're, they're, they're very limited. But I think that App, Apple basically showed at least uh, the way they they want to tackle this. It's a good. We're moving towards the right direction. Let's. Yeah. I will say this. I think definitely, and and I think that Apple showed showed us a bit. Uh, they're kind of unveiled their plan of what they think uh, um, or how they think you should be measuring custom product pages and, and marketing in general, which is through App Store Connect. Of course, yeah, it's still early days. So there's a lot of uh, things that are still being implemented there or bugs that are being fixed. Um, we all know uh, App Store Connect uh, bugs from that, that haunt us from time to time, but um, eventually they'll figure it out. And custom product pages, for example, they immediately added a way to not only measure uh, the amount of first-time downloads or uh, re-downloads, uh, but also revenue. So when they combine these two things, as long as you monetize through in-app purchases, of course, they can see your revenues from from ads. But if you do monetize through in-app, uh, in-app purchases, um, and you know which campaign <clears throat> is set to be 
or the destination of which campaign goes to which CPP, um, you can actually get back um, like privacy first aggregated revenue metrics, which is half of the ROAS calculation for a certain campaign uh, without an IDFA. So they technically, they, they, they rolled it out. It, it exists. They're still working out on the implementation, but it exists in AppStore Connect. So I think what they brought back is a lot of data, which is revenue and cohorted revenue within AppStore Connect that they they wish at least uh, would be adopted by the industry as an alternative way to measure um, UA performance. There was as well the, 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 the means of for a developer to test, and you mentioned that too on the product page and different assets, um, before you had to update the, um, the iOS um, app itself. So you had to do a new release, um, whereas on Google, we all know about our beloved Google experiments. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if anyone on the audience is not yet using Google Experiments or they're wondering what the hell Google Experiments is about, I suggest you to pause right now and just do a quick, a quick Google search because that's going to be one of your most beneficial tools available for free. Um, so it's good that Apple is following suit or at least starting studying. They're providing um, tools who are uh, more appealing or more appealing, more useful, I would say, um, to, uh, to, to, a, to a digital developer of an iOS developer. What I used to do, what I use, what we used to do um, in the industry in the past, as still is today, I think is the norm, is like you do the test first on Google, Android, mm-hmm. you draw the conclusions, and then you update the app with the winning assets or variants on iOS. So on the next release, you come up with the new icons and the screens um, on iOS. Um, now with these um, um, App Store and Connect product updates, um, this might be a thing of the past, um, but still, might take a while for um, day-to-day um, to change. People get used to specific methodology. And so using certain tools and um, using certain processes, I'm preferring, for instance, of uh-huh. testing and doing an IV test on an icon. Now changing that and applying it with Apple, et cetera, it might take, it might take a bit of, of time for people to feel confident. Like, hey, I'm just going to apply ultimately directly on Apple or, hey, we're changing completely the way um, on how we approach this. Um, might take. Um, is that the better you are on this from the source, um, um, the, the closer you are from the source, the better. As in, mm-hmm. I'd rather draw conclusions from results coming from the apps or um, um, connect page rather than um, relying on a perhaps a third party or maybe driving, driving conclusions from my results on the Google experiment, um, which is on Android, which obviously is a, is a different OS. Yeah, I, we definitely gear at Storm Event. I mean, uh, as, as a disclosure, we we are one of the third parties that uh, offer the A-B testing on a replicated App Store environment. Um, but uh, we we definitely agree. I mean, the closer you are to the source, uh, the better. We just believe that you need to do the best possible thing, and it's not always the optimal thing. It's just the best possibility, <clears throat> which... Um, which included replicated App Store testing up to some point um, because one side of it is that uh, testing on Android uh, led and, and taking the conclusions to the App Store in terms of uh, creative optimization uh, was a bit dirty because the audience on Android is completely different than the audience on iOS. And, and for folks that uh, question that, I mean, I would just ask you where your revenues are coming from uh, and, and look at the monetization profiles of iOS users and Android users. It's just completely different uh, audiences uh, for clear reasons. Uh, and, uh, and on the App Store with uh, product page optimization or PPO, um, yeah, you can actually test on organic traffic, which is something that was impossible to do in the past. You can run an A-B test that gets actual search and browse traffic which is amazing. Uh, we, we're really excited uh, to see folks are leveraging that. But similar to the other features, uh, it has been rolling out. Like it's not there yet. Uh, in terms of uh, product page optimization, I think uh, um, somebody from my team just wrote a piece about like uh, just collected like feedback from the industry and challenges that folks are experiencing. So it's just uh, kind of clunky. Like in order to run a test, you need to, uh, you can't, to submit a new version of the app while the test is running, and if you do, it stops the test. It's well, that's what I was saying. We we have the tool, but it's still um, it's it's the beginning of now. It, there is this, that, yeah. all that troubleshooting and people getting acquainted or used to that. And as you, and what you were pointing out as well, Jonathan, um, one of the reasons why you know you, you would use a, a third party tool, i.e., for instance, Termaven or one of your competitors, because mm-hmm. ultimately you save time and you don't have to go through all these ordeals. <laughs> 
because you know it's a tool that it's working and that many developers and um, in the space uses. Um, so there, there, there is a, a reason or a rational behind why would you rather use a third-party tool versus um, going directly to the source. Just on some instances, managing the source is yeah. a pain in the ass. Sure. Um, we do have a few minutes left, and, and I want to just ask you one thing about uh, the data and analytics or the insights and analytics uh, side of things. Um, how are you... like? Do you have any tips for somebody that is trying to now think about their data stack or their analytics stack in terms of mobile growth uh, for the next year? Because a lot of people are in the planning stage. Like, what kind of tools we need? Is an MMP enough? Is it like the, the data and the insights that an MMP provides us is enough for us to make uh, good, educated, intelligent decisions uh, on budget allocation? Uh, what about the organic side with the new data coming in? Do we have a better uh, possibility to uh, measure the impact of uh, different marketing activities anyway um, on organic? So do you have any tips to, for, for folks thinking about that? Sure. Um, so, yeah, sure, absolutely. So um, the first and foremost is, um, do I need an MMP or not? Um, and we generally been talking about deprecation or, um, you know, Google and Apple becoming more friendly with this stuff. Yes, to date, you still do need an MMP. Okay, next question is, um, but should I pay for the MMP or should I go for the free version? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I, I strongly encourage you, if you're serious about um, your um, app development, not necessarily game, but just maybe you're an app developer and you're serious about it, you definitely want to look into expensing, I mean, you know, doing expenditure of getting a, a third part, a paid um, MMP. Um, um, you know, just do a quick um, Google search, but, um, you know, mm -hmm. I just, AppsFire, um, Singular, Kuchava, these are, I think, um, these are um, the, the most common names. The top, yeah. Why we have, Correct. Um, what we have um, seen in the past is that, um, yes, Google Firebase engine and the likes can be useful, but if you want to take it to the next level, what makes it the next level to actually take, um, you know, um, a, a, a data-centric approach on how you're managing your app growth, you definitely need to rely on a third party um, who is um, reassuring you that what you're tracking is um, correct. And, and ultimately, um, it makes that your life or your team's life easier because they don't have to rely on clunky or not fully working um, tools, which could be, as we were referring just now, the apps reconnect um, or, um, or the Google console. They're getting better, but day-to-day -day should be from a data insights perspective. And at least for growth, it should be, most of it should be coming from the MMP. That mm -hmm. being said, that being said, there is a small caveat here. I waited for this. <laughs> that being said, um, footnote is that um, on the organic side, for instance, you could argue that um, the insights or what you're going to see, um, given without getting into much detail, um, given the way on how the App Store and Google Play reports, um, um, as you said before, browse and, and explore, and paid installs or third party friends, well, you call it different ways or however I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, this um, is becoming more and more a black box. Um, I'm just, you know, put things in perspective. So if you look into Google, we're talking about Google Android console. We still need to keep in mind that Google as well does advertising with Google ads, which is why they make most of their money. If you look into Google ads history, the, they're becoming more and more of a black box to the point where you don't actually get get to pick where are you running your campaigns, um, nor what's you know you see the the the, the split afterwards and between their different um, properties or what's your formats. Um, but that used to be the case before you used to be able to um, go down and you know and decide where you where you want to run and what you're doing. I'm giving this example. This could because that's likely what's going to happen with the console as well where ultimately you're relying on what um, the, the source of truth is telling you. But on some instances that even though, yes, they're reporting, and as I said before, yes, you have to rely the closer you are um, to the source, the better, yes. But when, it, when it's time to, to work out um, the data behind it, um, the details that the consoles give you is not, are not enough. If you're running a campaign, you, if you're doing a minimum spend of user, if you have a minimum amount of users and acquisition spend per month, minimum, 
over $5,000, I definitely uh, suggest you to um, seriously consider a, a paid NMP. And in fact, many of these, yes, there's an extra cost there, but I'm, I'm aware that many of these NMPs offer um, not, they're not cheap, but they're not non-affordable either for small um, small children of indie developers. They are aware that, you know, they are the key on some instances, as I explained to you now, they are they may be the key of success. And as such, they want to, you know, encourage developers to get the NMP. So it's not that, they're looking forward for a developer to grow. So that's when they make the money, right? When you are getting those 20 million <laughs> downloads per month. But before that, when you're getting 20,000 um, downloads per month, um, they, won't, they, they, they will offer you a more um, affordable um, package. And to wrap it up with the MMP front, um, now they may hit me on that, but I'd rather be transparent with this. Um, to start with, you, it's unlikely that a developer needs all the other um, tools that they tend to offer. I'm referring to anti-fraud. I'm referring to um, data, um, data, con um, you know, um, the what's called the data, not called the APIs. I don't want to give names because then it feels like I'm not specifically to one MMP. My point being that to start with, get the basics correct, which is tracking your main events. Make sure that you're getting those um, feedback to your MMP so you can track back what campaign is doing what. Um, try to you know leverage as well um, uh, the money that you're paying. So you're gonna have an account manager. So you're gonna be, you should be discussing with um, with him or her how your conversion schema is set up and um, for your scan networks campaigns, i.e., how you're running campaigns um, with um, with the IDFA being deprecated. Um, if any of those words, any of the last ten seconds, did not make sense to anyone, that's what you want to look into, and that's where an NFP can definitely assist you in saying, hey, you should be setting up these conversion values. So I suggest you to work towards an event. Or revenue-based um, conversion schema, and there are many examples. But obviously, they are ultimately um, they see many, many developers. I still, I still think point that with game developers, so we, we specialize in managing games, and we do it so well because, as I said before, we see um, many genres, and we get better and better and pinpointing what works best and um, on on which one. <laughs> Same goes with the MPs. They see many, many app developers, and as such, they get a really good exper um, expertise or insights on what seems to be working or what most developers um, or marketeers are currently doing. I'm referring to the schema, for instance. So try to get that support, but do not bother yet with those um, upsells, I would call it. Wait until your app or game is doing better, and that's when it might make sense for you to look um, into those. Um, or otherwise, just <laughs> if you're a game developer and it's a good game, reach, reach out to Tilting Point and then we cover the MVP for you. <laughs> <laughs> Great uh, conclusion. I gotta throw. I gotta throw it to the party hook somewhere. Jonathan. For sure, for sure. You you can you can uh, uh, if if you're successful and you have a good game, you can have access to Enric. That was the right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Growing your app. Um, cool. So we have to wrap it up because uh, we're running out of time. Um, I, I felt uh, this was a good uh, a good conclusion for the conversation with uh, really good tips to folks uh, at different levels of scale with their games and, and apps. Um, there's, there are a few questions we ask all of our guests. So um, the first one is, what's your for favorite mobile growth resource? Like a content recommendations that folks need to, I don't know, somebody they need to follow, uh, something they need to read. Yeah, it's someone that's saying mobile death memo. I mean, I think it's the mobile death memo. It's just a recurring item. Ongoing. Yeah, everybody, everybody's saying that. Like uh, Eric, uh, Eric Sofort is, is cool and is really. Uh, I mean, I, I read his stuff all the time. Um, but if you have any, any I gotta say, I yeah. gotta say for yeah, non-English speakers, the and I told, I think I told him that when uh, non non-English speakers, the articles might be a bit overwhelming. So take it easy because. Um, oh, it's tough. It's tough for every uh, like. Uh, right. <laughs> again, nothing. Nothing against Eric Sufer. No, no, by no means. By no means. I need the. I, I need the dictionary. I need the dictionary to uh, read the article <laughs> and. Uh, hey, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are many words that you know, Look, I've been you know um, English not first language, but like almost I've considered myself native um last fifteen years, and there are many words that I read through that and like gosh, I never heard of that word before. <laughs> So yeah. That's good, but um, 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 so mobile dev memo, um, but the, the Slack channel, um, so there is that that Slack channel which is open, it's for free, and from mm -hmm. um, from Eric Surfer's um, um, website, um, that's definitely one of the really good source, really the probably the best source, and um, there, um, then there is as well, um, if you are related with um, your um, organic. 
um, the guys that feature, which is an, an ASO um, agency, mm -hmm. um, they have as well a thing is called the um, ASO stack or ASO the ASO look, stack, um, yeah. Yes, correct. So that's these are, would be um, these would be my main sources of information day to day um, to see what's going on there. Beyond that, podcasts. Obviously, you know, I'm talking to this one today, so um, mobile unpackages is a good one. But there are many, many, many others, and it's really cool to see that um, podcast maybe became a trend in the last couple of years. So you get to hear not people like me, but other folks in the space um, who have, um, you know, a, a really good expertise. Um, mm -hmm. So it's even though we on most podcasts you cannot go down into a lot of detail. It is still, I think, um, really cool for you to be able to pick someone else's brains through um, an interview, right? For sure. So you get the, so most of the ex most of the strategies and the insights are like, okay, I knew about this, but there are some golden nuggets every now and then that are good to um, keep um, keep an eye on. Um, there is um, the last one. Um, it's the I think it's called Mobile Growth Gems. I think it is. I'm from Sylvian. Oh yeah, Sil Sylvian from Babel. Yes, yeah. Right. That's right. great. So I know he started that. He, he basically picks, like he listens to a lot of podcasts and, yes. and goes to a lot of webinars and conferences and stuff and just summarize like these gold nuggets you mentioned. So I would definitely uh, recommend. Correct. So if you don't have the time, yes. So then I will argue that actually is a, um, could be a good way for you to actually get like a, a brief summary of what's cooking in the space. Um, I would definitely, um, yeah, the grow, mobile growth and gems. Yes, that's, that's the one I will aim for too. Cool. And almost last question. What is your favorite flavor of pancake? Let's see if your time in the US have, uh, have ruined you or your. I know <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's sweet and savory. So I will ask um, when I used to be in the US, I normally ask for it was like the full on, which is with, um, with um, egg and, um, and bacon, but then add syrup on top. So it's going to be mm. um, a bit of the maple and a bit of the um, well cooked bacon. And that was to me. The perfect um, pancake to my wife that was that is horrible um <laughs> and she's rather happy with blueberries but hey that's um different taste right yeah that that's my selection i'm still with uh, bacon and maple that's uh you there can't you beat that um and and lastly if people uh want to reach out and chat either they they're a game developer and they have a game they want to reach out about or just talk about growth or anything else where can they find you sure sure so easiest one um, it's going to be linkedin Enric pedro um, another one is going to be via Twitter. And um, so you look as well for Andrew Petra. Um, that's going to be me, although there I'm more um, rather mobile. I'm lately more on the NFT um, or crypto wagon, um, but that's just a personal interest. But that's, that's likely to be, if you drop me a DM there, it's likely to be the, the fastest one, either that or LinkedIn. Awesome. Cool. So thank you very much uh, for doing this. This was a pleasure. Really enjoyed talking with you. Well, thank you for having me. It's been, a, it's been great. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Talk to you soon. And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. To find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve App Store performance, visit StoreMaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at StoreMaven, thanks for listening.